You know, I think you said that this kind of defining, letting your past define you, you know, to, to me, that's really a choice. And it's not an easy one. I mean, these are very, very complex things, but it, it is a choice to rewire, repattern kind of how you think, how you act, and how you create your life and your future. And most people are unconsciously just recreating their past over and over again. And, you know, at a certain point, I just decided I didn't want to do that. And, and it wasn't without help. Today on The Climb, Crossroads and Defining Moments, we had Mr. Brett Kaufman join us. Brett joined us and shared with Michael and myself so many good nuggets and takeaways we have. I think you could write a book with the quotes that we have taken away from this one. He talks about his passion for sharing and, and giving back and where he started coming from a ch- his childhood to where he is today. And uh, just a great conversation around who he is as a person and, and who, how he's continuously striving to be better each day and talks a lot about just being a work in progress and what that means to him and how he's going to continue moving forward. Well, Brett, welcome to the Climb Podcast with uh, myself and Michael. We appreciate you joining us this morning. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here with you. Well, you're no uh, you're no stranger to podcasts yourself, so you know. Let's make sure we get you a plug for uh, your Gravity podcast, and maybe share a little bit. Let's start there with what you're looking to accomplish there, so we can let everybody know uh, about your podcast as well. Sure. Yeah, we uh, launched our podcast last year and have recorded. I think we're over forty episodes. They're kind of getting released once a week and. Really, the um, purpose behind the podcast is really to get people to tell their life journey, their full life journey, all the kind of childhood experiences, good, bad, or otherwise, and yeah. how that's um, shaped their lives as they've gone on to have varying levels and success in different areas. Uh, and really, the point is to hope that the listener will see themselves in these people and in their journeys and take some comfort and get some inspiration to continue forward in their own in their own lives. I know when we talked kind of the first time when I was thinking about launching the podcast with Michael and what we were looking to accomplish uh, a little bit of a different bend to it, but but not too dissimilar, which is I think there's a lot of different points within your life that are, you know, as we say, the crossroads of defining moments of when you make a certain decision or certain things that, that make you go left instead of right. So uh, it, it's kind of cool to see how those, you know, your piece and ours intertwine a little bit. Yeah, I think it's great what you guys are doing. And um, there's definitely some similarities there. I think, you know, these kind of stories need to be told. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're all the same. We're all kind of grappling with the same things in varying degrees. And um, it's, you know, really helpful for people to kind of be together and learn from each other. Yeah, absolutely. So what's Brett's story? Like, where does that start and maybe bring us to today? And then Michael and I'll pepper you with some questions in between. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, that's a, could be a really long answer. So I'll try to condense that, you know, as it is with most people, you know, our lives are full. And that's, you know, been the case for me. I grew up in uh, Akron, Ohio for the first 10 years of my life, 
Um, my parents had kind of a uh, pretty chaotic uh, marriage. My father was uh, a, an addict and mm-hmm. and uh, abusive and and struggling quite a bit, and uh, that led to a divorce and eventually a move to Columbus, where I live today. Lived most of my life, and you know I like to kind of tell the first part of that story because you know it really did eventually end up informing who I am in a very positive way. I have a lot of gratitude for that time, despite how difficult it really was. Um, I got to learn a lot about me. I got to kind of do that in a challenging way as I went into high school and college. I maybe rebelled and, and, and acted out and, you know, did some stuff that was just part of my healing. Um, but it also led me to some interesting people, to some interesting experiences, to things like art and music and, and design and psychology and stuff that I really wasn't programmed to, to really, you know, um, my, my father was a big kind of business, 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 you know, manlyhood, be tough, be strong, be a man, go make money, be successful, you know, art, music, the kind of softer, sensitive sides of me were not things that were really revered. So, you know, kind of finding that in my rebellion really ultimately ends up leading to, you know, my work today and being able to merge all of that together. Um, And even that journey, my professional journey was one that wasn't a straight line. You know, my patterning and programming from childhood had me fall into a traditional path early in my career in banking and in kind of more corporate settings until about 10 years ago, I started my own business. And, and that business was really the kind of first of several that really started to bring me back to that kind of more authentic self, um, really trying to incorporate all of those things, the things that I used to see were outside of work, things that you did on the weekends or on vacation or retirements, that that could really be my work and my life. And as you know, uh, Built to Lead, which we have in common as well, um, was a big part of helping me figure that out. Well, we we would be uh, in a little bit of trouble if we didn't give uh, Chet Scott a shout out at Built to Lead because uh, that's how we got connected. I know he's been been a big part of my life as well for the last I think almost four years now. One of the things that you said that I think is really interesting is you talked about your parents and taking that situation. I want to go back to it is you said, you know, eventually shaped who you are and you actually have gratitude for some of those, you know, probably what maybe I'll, I'll say and you can redefine it, but like challenges you had in your life. How did you get your mindset to go there? Because I think that's a really challenging shift to make. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, I will tell you that candidly, you know, transparently, vulnerably, you know, I've learned to kind of share these things, even though they're still not easy. But, um, you know, my father was out of my life for probably about 10, 12 years. He was um, eventually, you know, went to jail, um, found himself really in demise, had done some things, you know, that um, were kind of hurtful and concerning for uh, my family as I had young kids. And so there was a long period of time where, you know, I was not in the place that I am today, this place of gratitude. And really, it, it took a lot of work to get there on my end and on his end. And, you know, not just, it's not just about him, it's about everybody and everything. 
you know, and for me, that's a lot of things, you know, I'm a big believer in meditation. I'm a big believer in therapy, you know, coaching, physical health. There's, a, I think, a lot of different modalities that go into really working on yourself, truly working on yourself. And, and you know, at the end of the day, you know, it was a combination of a lot of different things that got me to this state. And it really is a state. It's not something that you can kind of intellectually understand. You can read a book, you can listen to a podcast, you can hear this idea of gratitude. But for me, it was an embodiment that that ultimately led me there. It was an understanding of kind of what happened. And in my case, and I think in most cases, what happens is generational. My father did not set out to hurt me and his family and everybody that he loved. That was not his goal in life. It's generally not people's goal in life to ruin everything around them. It comes to them through their own experience, usually their own childhood upbringing. And these are generational things. My grandfather, my father's father, was a very a well-intended person. He grew up poor. He used to say like holes in his shoes, kind of poor, never went to college started a business with his brother, just selling stuff door to door, hustling. It turned into be successful. He gave his kids then everything they never had, thinking he was just doing well. And that turns out to spoil them rotten. So, you know, here we go, right? You know, and when you start to kind of unpack it and realize it like, hey, you know, everybody was trying to do their best. It's really not their fault. You know, these are generationally inherited embodied traumas. And all I can actually do is look at, well, how did it, how did it shape me? And what do I want to do with it? What kind of life do I want to create from here? When you start to look at it like, well, you know, he was really up my ass. He was really difficult. Is it okay if I cuss on, on your show? Oh, yeah. Shit, yeah. Sorry, it's just kind of like another, (laughs) (laughs) it just happens. Um, But, you know, I I look at that as like, all right, well, you know, that did actually give me a lot of drive. It actually, you know, this idea of like success and money and, and, and business, like, you know, that, that is part of me. And, and that part of me actually, you know, led me to things that I'm really happy about. Um, What is problematic is when you don't honor the other parts of you. And when you start to kind of live into this like aligned, really authentic way of being, which by the way, I am still, you know, uh, as, as we say, at built to lead a work in progress, you know, this is an ongoing process, but you start to do that. You start to be able to look back and say, you know, boy, I'm pretty grateful for kind of all of it. You know, Brett, to have that kind of insight and reflection this early in your life, um, it, it's something that I work on too. And, and thank you for, for sharing all that. It's, you talked about sort of the generational aspect, you know, your, your great grandparents did it one way, your grandparents did it another, your parents may have done it another, and those all sort of impact you. I mean, that, that's the purpose. And, you know, one of the, the leading desires behind our podcast is that those stories get told because we live in this world today where it's so fast paced, it's 24 hour news, it's Twitter feeds and the time to really slow down and reflect and understand that the past can define you. If you don't learn from it, then maybe you're going to repeat it or you got a missed opportunity there. So 
I really appreciate you sharing that. And my parents went through a divorce uh, later on in life. I was in high school, but to your point, I mean, you just kind of pissed off. And I learned really early on, though, that you push too hard on the world and it's going to push back. And that can be a pretty uncomfortable place to be. So thank you for sharing that. Anything anything else you want to share on sort of that that journey to, to get to the point where your ability to be so reflective now? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting thing. I think, you know, it's it's kind of a just part of my DNA to some extent. You know, it's part of my kind of wiring to want to be reflective and to be in a growth mindset. You know, when I was like, I don't know, 15, 16 years old, I was listening to Wayne Dyer books on tape. And, you know, when I, when my parents got divorced when I was 10, my mom took my sister and I to therapy and, and, and I walked out saying, when can I go back? And my sister never went back. You know, it's kind of part of me, just who I am. And then, you know, I think it's, it's a lot of work too. I mean, it, it's not fun to kind of like really look at your shit and, you know, own it and decide like, not only do I kind of see it and know it, but I, like, I'm going to really like change this behavior. Cause, you know, I think you said that this kind of defining, letting your past define you, you know, to, to me, that's really a choice and it's not an easy one. I mean, these are very, very complex things, but, um, it, it is a choice to rewire, repattern kind of how you think, how you act and how you create your life and your future. And most people are unconsciously just recreating their past over and over again. And, you know, at a certain point, I just decided I didn't want to do that. And and it wasn't without help. Again, you know, coaching, you know, and really, you know, not just to plug Chet and Built to Lead, like Built to Lead changed my life, no question about it. Um, I didn't know what a co- coach was when I met Chet, and that changed my life. You know, I went to Landmark Forum, if you're familiar with Landmark, but that was another big, you know, kind of game changer, understanding, learning about how to create my future. And, you know, in the spirit of kind of like the gratitude thing, you know, my, there's a lot of blessings that I think had nothing to do with me and maybe, you know, my belief system, which is about, you know, the universe, God, you know, I was, I was blessed with a mother who did everything humanly possible to get our lives on track, a stepfather who came into our lives and, and really, you know, blessed us with a healthy home. There was a lot of like unbelievable kind of unexplainable blessings that showed up in my life and, and really, you know, helped support me in, in making that transition. Yeah. I, I laugh when you, uh, you talk about look at, looking at your shit. I've been having this conversation with a friend and we were talking about just like therapy in general, right? It, it's, it always has had this like negative connotation of, well, you got to do this, you have a problem and, and why should I go therapy? I'm good. I've been doing therapy and or coaching for nine years now. And I can definitely say it's completely changed my life. And, you know, when I kind of share, you know, when you look at, when you go down, you start to examine who you are. And you realize, like, so for me, you look at, like, looking at my father and I'm going, man, my dad is this hero. And you start to go down and you go, okay, some of these things I actually don't believe. And then you start to get, like, a little upset with yourself and going, well, my dad's my hero. This can't be right. Like, he can't be wrong. And to your point, like, I love that comment of, like, 
don't just recreate your past because of all these things that are just built into you and you're you're unconscious over the years when you're young and built in and they might you if unless you examine them you're never gonna know yeah i mean i'm i'm kind of starting to understand this idea that we're all on our own path and our own journey and that the idea of being perfect and and you know i have i have three boys they're 18 17 and and 14 and you know i have kind of over their lives wanted to put up my best foot forward you know really kind of show them the best of me and and i think that's been really good cuz you know i'm intentionally you know trying to role model something for them that you know will be helpful for them in their lives. But as they've gotten older, I've started to really learn that it's equally as important, maybe more important for me to show them what I'm not and and own my mistakes. Um, there was a kind of a big shift in me probably, you know, seven, five, I don't know, eight years ago where, you know, I started to really say like, when I when I would get angry with them or something like, you know, I didn't handle that right. I'm sorry. You know, I I, I kind of lost my cool on that, and 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 I'm working on that, and I and I'm gonna I'm gonna try not to do that, and even call me out on it next time I do it, because I had you know my father. I grew up in a household where he was you know angry all the time. So so that's what I started to do when the kids were little, and even though I was sober and happy and you know in a very different state. I still had some of that patterning. And so, you know, when I started to kind of like bring the shadow into the light and own it, I think that it was more important for them to see me change and be imperfect because we all are. We all are. It's it's unrealistic to kind of set the expectation as a man, as a father, that you're perfect. So, you know, that's a lot for a kid to carry. And so uh, anyway, I think there's a, we could talk all day and I, I'm real passionate about kind of the subject of fatherhood and manlyhood and kind of redefining, you know, what that means. No, yeah, we need more fathers like you out there, Brett. I mean, I think about that all the time. I've got, I've got two daughters, so keep your three boys uh, <laughs> up north of Texas here for a little while, but you know, it's the well, same. I do thing. have one going to UT in the fall. So, uh. <laughs> well, hmm. okay, I'm gonna have to rethink yeah, a few things. My, uh, yeah, there you go, room. hook them. <laughs> right. uh, great school, by the way. But uh, no, I mean, I think about that all the time. Like, what am I doing today? If, if instead of telling my kids what to do, you know, I'm really a mirror to them to see what to do. Right? Big different way of thinking about it. You know, what am I doing every day to instill in my daughters, hopefully what they're looking for, you know, in, in a, in a husband many, 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 many years from now. And I work on that every day and, you know, going through some of the information that, that Bob sent over in your website, you know, I love, there was a, I don't know if it was a quote or where I saw it on there, but it said, you know, the way things have always been done is a perfect opportunity to disrupt. And I think, you know, whether it's in life and just repeating the way that our parents were or our grandparents and not having this time to self-reflect and, and figure it out bleeds over to the business world. And it seems like that's the way you've gone about setting up your company is like doing it differently. And then, you know, in this world, 
at least growing up and like reading business books about like crushing the competition and being completely relentless and, you know, not only putting your knee on the neck, but just never letting up, you're, you're creating like love and happiness in this just amazing environment. So talk to us about that. Yeah, well, you know, I don't subscribe and and this is, you know, something that again has kind of evolved for me over time, but I, I really don't subscribe to the idea of disruption. I don't know where you saw that quote and if it was me, I gotta I gotta refresh it. Cause um what I believe happens when you set out to disrupt something, and it's a little nuanced, but I think it's important, is is that, you know, it's kind of like you're punching somebody in the gut and and when you get hit in the gut, then, you know, you, you don't just roll over, you punch somebody back in the face and that, now you have a fight and that's not really the goal. So I, I like to use the word expansion and, and really that's what I've tried to do with our business is take a model early on when, you know, we were singularly focused on building real estate. You know, the idea was let's take these communities that have really strong fundamentals. They're, they're, they're built constructed in a way that people are going to be happy to live in them for a long period of time in good locations. We're going to service them um, appropriately. You know, we're going to make sure that our staff treats people in a way that is of a certain kind of level of experience in, in creating community. But what if we turned that on the side and made the design something that really uplifted them? And what if we provided amenities and programs and content and experiences for them to actually connect to their passions and to the things that they love and to each other? Well, what would happen then? And so to me, that's just an expansion of something that was there before. And, and, and that's kind of you know, the way that I like to look at it. You know, the other thing you know, regarding the competition piece is to me, if and and this is like a, a mindset thing, you know, and and I and I try. I'm not always there, but I try to have an abundance mindset. And and to me, it's like if if everybody, if everybody in my space starts to build communities that are fundamentally built on the things that we value: collaboration, connection, passion, love expression, impact, well-being. If everybody started doing that, well, that would be pretty damn good for society. And I'm not so worried that there's not enough for me in that. And even if there's not enough for me, I'm so confident now in my ability to just go solve another problem. I'll just go do something else. If, if that problem's solved, I'll, there's plenty of problems to start solving. And when you start to think about it that way, you don't really care about your competition anymore. You're not focused on winning. You're focused on, on connecting to human beings and changing the world. And that's all you care about. And that's like, there's plenty of work to do in this lifetime there. Amen to that, brother. Well said. Yeah, I think uh, when you... Talk through all that. Talk about maybe how you build that into the culture you have at your company as well as like, I mean, you have a whole group that's feeling the same way. Like, how do you kind of get your passion and love for what you're doing spread throughout the rest of the company and even just other people around you? 
Yep. It's a, it's a great question. You know, the thing I did when I started my company was I decided, and we're still doing this. It's actually a, a pretty interesting thing as we're kind of looking at the racial tension and kind of how we can continue to lean into doing the right thing. But, but, you know, from the start, the idea was throw out all the rules, throw out all the societal programming, all of the industry norms, just pretend like it doesn't exist. What would we create if we could create anything? Because we were at a point where it was just me. It's one person. I could create anything I wanted to create. And it was really important to me after spending 15 years in corporate America to create a culture that I wanted to show up and go to work in every day. You know, again, coming back to the gratitude thing, I spent 15 years in jobs that I was not that inspired by. But boy, did I learn a ton. Boy, was I so grateful to have that experience. Boy, I learned what I did not want. And that was really more important, not just like intellectually, like we talked about before, but like I got to experience it in my body, what it was like to work at a bank where they didn't give you a holiday off. You had to take a vacation day. If you, for me, you know, the Jewish holiday was a one time a year thing that I observed. And that was a vacation day for me. And it was like, wow, you know, that welcome to the world. I mean, I was, you know, 22 years old when I'm learning this lesson. You know, thank you. Thank you. Fast forward to today, you know, Juneteenth, like it's off. Take it off. That's it. That's, you know, I don't care what, do whatever you want on that day. We're taking it off. And I learned that lesson through those experiences. So for me, culture, kind of getting back to your question, culture was about about who I put on my team. It's kind of similar to the, the comment you made about, you know, role modeling for your daughters. You know, for me, it's a matter of culture will be built by the example of the people that are there. It's not me. You know, I, I have, I'm the visionary, right? In the EOS world, that's my role. I'm the visionary. The implementer, the, the, the rest of the team, they're the ones that are making it happen and they make it happen by just being who they are. So we look, we look for skill, passion, effort, and you've got to have the passion for the things we believe in so that our culture can really be something more than just words written on the wall or some idea in my head. Yeah. It's so great to, to think through how you do that. I think one of the things I wanted to come back to, and then I want to actually come back to what you were just talking about is like, so you're 15 years in corporate America and you're, you're doing what I'll call like paid training, basically. Like you're getting paid to learn all these lessons before you go to do your own thing. Did you always know you wanted to do your own thing? Did you always know it was real estate? And then like, also what made you finally just go, I'm done with this. Like I'm going out on my own. Yeah, no, I really didn't know I wanted to do my own thing. I, I think that I was too unconscious, you know, kind of early in my career to really know what I wanted. And 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 when I did have some kind of thread of of something that I thought I would want, I didn't have the confidence or courage or capabilities to actually go do it. So, I mean, I can go back to 
I was a lousy student. I just kind of like, this is all again, kind of connected to my childhood. You know, I learned to disassociate from, you know, kind of the chaos. So that meant I didn't ever pay attention in school. And the way school was taught was not like catered to, you know, how I learned. So I was a lousy student, but I remember sitting in a, in a class in college, one of the few I attended, you know, I, I graduated, but I, I really learned, uh, I was on like a, a more of a, a life learning track than a the academic one. But I sat in a psychology class where I thought, wow, like, this is interesting. I could do this. But, but again, like, immediately programming comes in, business success, looking good, you know, work hard, right? So I'm in banking because I wanted to impress my girlfriend's parents, you know, which turns out to work because we've been married for 20 years now. But like, <laughs> you know, but like, you know, I, I mean, I'm a lousy banker. Like I'm not, you know, so I'm spending most of my career just going like, how can I impress my girlfriend's parents? How can I now provide a, a living for my wife? How can I make enough money to take that vacation? And, and that's kind of where my mind is. And what happens is, I'm about maybe, uh, I don't know, six, seven, eight years into my prior job to starting this company. And I start to get a little bit of an itch to go, really, I think, just make some money. I thought, you know, I'm not making enough money doing this. I'm going to make some extra money. And I did what like they kind of tell you in real estate in today, they have, you know, real estate schools. They didn't have that when I was in college. And they say, you know, go just buy a, a duplex. That's like a thing, you know, like, if you want to get into the industry, you know, you, you've got three ways to do it. You can work for a developer, which is really hard to get a job with no experience. You can um, go into banking or uh, appraisals or, you know, finance some kind of surrounding industry, or you just go buy a duplex, you know, and most people go, well, how do you do that? I don't have any money. You know, I don't know how to do that. And that's kind of where I was. I just used an old banking tie. I had no money. I found a duplex. I bought it. And I started to go to work on an idea that I had about how I could turn these kind of inner city duplexes into kind of um, high design units at an affordable price point. And, and that just started to really put me on a path where... I did it. It worked. I made some money. I, I'll never forget cashing that check going, wow, I did that. Like that, that was like, that was pretty cool. That was fun. And I, I, it took me still, you know, probably another five years to make the jump from that point. But that was the beginning of me being an entrepreneur thinking, you know, now I did, you know, I'm in strategic coach and they talk about the four C's commitment, courage, capability, and confidence. And they go in that order. So when I, when I bought the duplex, I made a commitment. Uh, then came all the fear. Am I going to fail? Is this going to work? And as I started to go through it, you know, I got the courage to go through it. Then I started to realize like, hey, I actually know what I'm doing here. I'm capable. And then I was confident. And you, know, you keep kind of jumping back in on that. I brought all that learning back to my company. We started to rehab all of our old units, started to work there. I started to use that confidence, those capabilities to keep kind of going through that cycle to the point where I was ready to make a jump. And, and it wasn't just 
the kind of four C's. It was also at the same time, um, there was, there was three key events and, and I know this is maybe a long answer, but you know, I think these are kind of important things to touch on. We talked about a little bit before, but all within a three month period, I went to landmark forum. I started working with Chet. It built the lead. Landmark taught me that I could create anything I wanted to create, that my past was not defining my future. Built the lead taught me how to have a worldview and an opus and really kind of write what I wanted to do with my work and my life. And then I went to something called Summit Series, which was a, it was, a, it was actually on a cruise ship. Um, and it was a big kind of a conference of sorts, but it was all these young entrepreneurs that were like doing super cool shit. It was like the founders of uh, or like Google and PayPal, early days of those guys, Charity Water. It wasn't just tech. It was philanthropy, environmental stuff. I mean, all these super creative entrepreneurs. Gary V was there. I'd never heard Gary V before. And this is 2009. I actually ended up at a dinner with just Gary V and two other people, which was like totally random, but it just blew my mind. And, and I came home, I'm like, wait a minute, I can create my future. This is what I believe. And I just saw a whole boat full of people doing it. I'm taking the jump. And that's really, <laughs> you know, kind of the culmination of all those things that got me to start my own business. Hey, Brett, you talked about skill, passion, and effort. How do you, you know, for, for our other business owners, entrepreneurs, C-level listeners, I mean, how do you go about identifying talent and then retaining the talent? Well, you know, it's a bit of an art. It takes some work and some experience to do that. You know, when we, when we first started a company, I was a little too focused on the passion piece of that equation. I was so, so convicted that we had to have a culture of a certain kind that we would go out and hire people out of industry that had no experience. And in some cases, that was good for our leasing people. I didn't want the industry normal kind of typical salesy approach. You know, this is in 2011. We were kind of one of the first to make sure everybody was working on iPads and you know, doing all the cool techie stuff. So I was hiring people out of retail, people that had brand experience. And in that case, you know, the lack of skill was really a benefit. But when it comes to maintenance, when it comes to accounting, when it comes to finance, comes to operations, you need people with skill, right? So, you know, we've had to kind of calibrate that and try to find people that have all three, they can demonstrate all three. And, you know, what happens when you have that kind of a high bar is it's much harder to attract talent, but it's worth it because you can retain people and it makes your life easier. If you've got really A players, top talent, people that have all three of those things, it frees you up to do the things that you're really good at, passionate, love at, love to do. And, and so it's just a discipline of ours that we really stick to. Brett, talk about two, you know, I know that you guys are using built to lead at Kaufman. Talk about that investment in your people 
and how important that is, you know, when you talk about training, development, and, and building a culture. Yeah, I mean, it, it comes back to kind of the comment around expansion and kind of why we do what we do, purpose. For me, and, and you know, this is much easier for me to say now that we're, you know, almost 10 years into this and, and have had a lot of success. But for me, all along, I have always gotten the most pleasure out of seeing people grow in their lives. It really probably goes back to that psychology class. It's probably what I was meant to do and work that I'm actually coming around to now. But I, I started to really do it through my company. And Built to Lead was um, one of, if not the biggest vehicle that we utilized to really help other human beings, um, which is ultimately the most um, important part of everything that I do. Now I am super focused on creating new companies, new products, new organizations, investing, coaching, speaking, the podcast. It's all about how do we improve the human experience? How do we make a difference in other people's lives? And Built to Lead does that. So you know, when, when I have somebody that comes to me and says, and this has happened to me actually a couple of times recently, they've come to me and said, Hey, I'm leaving. I'm going to do X. I've always wanted to do that. And I learned that here. I learned that I should go follow my dreams. I wrote my opus. I know what I believe and I'm going, I'm taking the jump. That's to me like high five, like I don't care what kind of hole you just left in my company. I'll fill it. But like high five, that's why we're here. When somebody, you know, we, we say we want you on fire, either here or there, right? It's built to lead thing. So, you know, to me, not only has it been incredibly impactful in my own life to be on fire, but it also gives people that opportunity um, in their lives. And, you know, that's just like a triple bottom line because I've got people that are on fire, share my passion here. And then I've got some that are going out in the world and, and sharing their passion in the world, you know, and I think because we have that mindset, because we have that, you know, kind of built into the company, I think it, it also hits our bottom line. I mean, I think it's part of the reason we're, we're successful. And I actually don't know if that's true, but that's what I uh, tell myself. And, and, <laughs> and, and I've never really cared enough to find out because the other parts are just more, too important to really care. No, Brett, I really appreciate that mindset because you know, I've left jobs before knowing that, you know, in, in understanding who I am and where I'm going and the things I want to accomplish, you know, maybe I had done all that I could do there and it was time to, to branch out in a different direction. And have that previous person not be excited about that is just not, I don't think that's truly leading from the front like you're talking about. And, you know, if, if, if that's your, your goal to have that, have them have that deep understanding of themselves. I loved, I was reading an article you were quoted in this morning that Carl Jung quote, the privilege of a lifetime is to become who you truly are. I mean, that's what you're talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, you know, coming back to the to the role modeling, you know, the other 
uh, young quote that I love along those lines is, 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 and I'll, I won't get the exact quote, but it, you know, basically talks about the, the life of the unlived parent and that, you know, and that, that one was really one of the big ones that got me to take the jump that I, I needed to show my kids what it meant to really live and to not be filled with regret and, and resentment and worry and doubt, you know, that, that, that taking a, a jump, an investment in my life, you know, really would be the most important thing I could do for me and for them and for others. And, you know, I'll never forget Chet once said this to me, and I've heard this kind of in strategic coach. You know, I think Chet said at the time, you know, whatever it was going to cost was about the price of like an administrative assistant. And he said, you know, you could have that and that's going to like get you whatever it gets you. Right. Or, you know, you could invest in this and it'll maybe change your life forever. And boy, has that been kind of the the cheapest investment I've ever made. Uh, when I think about, you know, kind of how it's changed me, my relationships with my wife, my kids, my family, and my business. I mean, you know, because uh, some people, you know, want to talk about, you know, the bottom line, you know, I've made way more money because of Built to Lead. And, you know, the other kind of way to look at it, you know, Dan Sullivan from Strategic Coach talks about it's an investment. You know, it's not, a, it's not an expense, it's an investment. And you get to decide, is the investment paying off or is it not? And in my case, you know, I found the more that I engage in learning, the more I engaged in networks, the more I uh, surround myself by other really smart people that also have the same mindset, that the same um, abundance growth mindset, that investment pays off over and over and over again. Brett, how do you how do you separate chasing the dollar versus chasing and living like your life and you're living your, you know, as we talk about and built to lead your opus or what your your dream is? Like, how do you separate those two? Because what what I realize sometimes when you talk to some folks, it's like, hey, if I just get to this point, I'll be good. And then you get there and that next milestone is is up in front of you. And what I've tried to do is like separate those out. Cause if I keep doing that, like my fiance is always like, yeah, but if you do that, you're just going to find something else to go to, which is what built the leads got me to do is realize more that it's not just about the dollar. So how do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, I, um, there's a lot of different kind of threads to pull on there. You know, one is that I, I, I learned not to look at them as separate. That's the, that's the thing. Like I'm a for-profit business. But I'm also trying to really make my difference in, in the world. And, and I don't think those two things are separate. And in fact, I actually think that the key to me making money is really the passion for, for trying to change the world. And the more I understand that, the more that I experience that, the more I realize how wide open that is. Like, for example, Headspace, you know, the meditation app, it's got like a billion dollar valuation. Now, I don't know how the, I don't know the, the origin story of that, but I sure as hell know 20 years ago when I started meditating that had I had the confidence and the, and the courage to go, oh, wait a minute, oh, wait a minute. If you could kind of bring this to the masses, <laughs> I could make a billion dollars. You know, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know that then, but that is the way forward. That is how. I think 
money is made is finding those things that you really, really are passionate about and connecting the two. And then, you know, the kind of, you know, Chateaubriand quote, you know, from Built to Lead that, you know, you can't tell the difference if you're, you know, playing or working, you know, that, right. So that's kind of the goal. But there's, there's also, you know, kind of some mixed feelings that I still grapple with on the kind of throwing the stick out, you know, part of me thinks that's really good. Part of me thinks that you you should have really, you know, big, dreamy, aspirational goals and you should um, hit them. And when you hit them, you should throw it back out. And that's part of kind of, you know, what drives you forward. I, I think you have to, though, at the same time, kind of check in with yourself and decide, well, you know, what's really running here? Um, most commonly, and for me, I had something you know that I call not enough, right? And that was part of my childhood again. That you know there was this big, big you gotta be perfect, you gotta look the part, you gotta sit up straight, shake a hand, look in the eye, make money, be successful, big, 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 wealth, wealth, wealth. Well that was fine because it served me to get to where I am. But one, at, at a certain point, I realized, no, wait a minute, why am I continuing to do this? I have enough. I am enough. But why, why do I throw the stick back out? And when you, when you kind of make that shift, you're like, all right, well, I'm throwing it out because here's what I'll do with the money. You know, I can continue to invest in other people. I can continue to give back. I can you know, continue to create a, a life for myself that's joyful and fun and, and full and whatever, right? It's not that you, you've got to say, you know, I've got to stop making money. Money's bad. You just need to kind of be aware of what you're doing and realize why you're doing it and make sure in my case, you know, and this quarantine's been really amazing for this, that you're not, on that treadmill and like in that rat race and unconsciously, you know, trying to get more and more and more and missing the kind of very thing that you're actually after, which is like love and connection and time with your family and, you know, things that, you know, I find to be, you know, more fulfilling than, than a, a dollar. Fred, do you think the 20 years of, of focus on meditation helps keep all that clear? I think so many of us have ideas like that, but then you get sidetracked. You're over here. You you just you miss that that ability to truly focus on the important things. And is meditation helped with that? Uh, absolutely, it has helped with that. And you know, I, I want to also kind of just say, like, it's not like a silver bullet. A lot of people feel like they struggle with meditation. And I did for probably 10 years, you know, I was thoughts, 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 monkey brain, monkey brain, you know, is it working? I don't know if I'm doing it right, you know, and, and wherever you start, and wherever, whatever experience you have, it's perfect. That's exactly what you need. You know, they say if you fall asleep, great, you were tired, it's fine. You know, if you had thoughts the whole time, perfect, you needed to move your thoughts. And so, you know, I, I'm a huge uh, fan and and proponent. Yet, you know, as time has gone on, and in, in the more recent years, my routine has expanded beyond meditation. You know, so like a morning for me is I, you know, woke up this morning, I meditated, 
I have kind of like a affirmational prayer that I use that I just repeat every morning. I um, write in a journal every day. I've started this new thing about kind of like one life lesson that I um, have uh, learned in a story and I write that out every day. I worked out, I sat in my sauna, you know, went downstairs, returned some email, grabbed a cup of coffee, and here I am. And, you know, at 9.30, you know, and I'm usually getting going 9, 9.30, which is, which is also a new discipline for me. You know, I, and, and by the way, before that, I, I made sure I got, you know, seven to eight and a half hours of sleep. That's, you know, also a key part of it. You know, I'm feeling like I've, I am really ready to go at that point. Cause uh, you know, I've, I've moved a lot of energy. I've gotten a lot of stuff kind of out of me that has me showing up clear and conscious and energized and focused and, um, you know, happy. So it's not just meditation, you know, it's, it's, it's a number of things. And, and that continues on throughout the day. I mean, I, you know, I now, you know, have lunch with my son every day. I'm, working from home right now, I, you know, will, you know, go for a run or play tennis at the end of the day before we have dinner. And, you know, I'll, I'll take some time to read, you know, later in the evening, spend time with family, take a walk with my wife. I mean, all of those things really, really add up to how you can go. You know, the idea is that you, you don't uh, wait till your, your battery and your car dies um, before you you start driving, you know, and before you charge it, you charge the car and then you drive, you know. And so that's kind of the philosophy I have: is you've got to constantly be charging your batteries so you can drive. Yeah, great perspective, Brett. I was I was looking for you this morning on the Peloton, but I didn't see it. So we'll we'll have to find <laughs> another one for that. Yeah. Well, that was fun. I, uh, I you know, I, th- th- that group got me going. And, you know, there is something about, you know, being with other people and, and the group. I, I've not been on the bike since. Um, <laughs> it's too nice here for me to yeah. be riding in so- indoors. So I go out and, and run or, or do something else outside. But um, that was fun. I, I yeah. bet, you know, there was a lot of learning there. That group, the motivation, the trash talking, you know, oh, it, it yeah. was got me going. I'll, I'll tell you, I, I really enjoyed that. So Michael, Chet, the, the mutual coach we work with during when this whole isolation thing started, right? He's like, we're going to do this tour day isolation for all these people that have Pelotons. And he, he was, you know, we'd all get on the bike at, you know, seven forty six in the morning or whatever the time was. And, and we'd have what, Brad, we had 22 people on there or something like that. Yeah. It was a good group. Yeah. And, I mean, the, the personal records that were set, the people pushing, I mean, it was like you would get on and usually when that, you know, if you do a 45 minute ride, the first five minutes, it's like a warm up, but everybody's getting on like 10 <laughs> minutes before so that when we start, they're just going full go. And it was like, I remember getting up at the one and Chad actually calls me after and I'd been laying on the ground for like 30 minutes because I just had nothing left in me. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm riding a stationary bike and just putting, laying everything on the table. But like, it was like, how do you create that? We've been, and that's what Chet's been talking, we've been talking about. How do you create that Peloton with your team? How do you create that thing that people are always pushing each other and, you know, a healthy amount of, you know, shit talking in there too and, and busting each other, which is fun. I think 
I like to think of myself as a rather athletic person, right? And I'm like at the bottom of this group and Chet has not let me forget that, you know? So like, <laughs> it, it was well, just, I don't know if you were at the bottom. I'm pretty sure I was, I was beneath you. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's a funny thing because what happened was I, I really thought, think I was, you know, at the bottom. Um, but, but there's another guy here in Columbus who's a good friend of mine, also a client of Chet's. And we were kind of debating which one of us was at the bottom because <laughs> Chet had that power to weight ratio thing. Yeah. And I was just focused on output. And I'd win on output, but I'd lose on power to weight. And so we would, um, we would argue over that. But, but what I ended up doing was what motivated me was the personal best. And so to me, that was kind of an interesting learning is like, if I just go out and beat my best every time what happens and and you know i ended up putting up numbers that you know i I never thought i could do um just watching that little you know number am i staying above it you know how far above it can i get and you know just kind of you know learning that you know if maybe that's that's all you need to do is go out and do your best every day i know that's no it's great well brett the one thing I wanted to touch on too that you've mentioned throughout this whole thing was you talked about been constantly kind of going back to this passion you have for sharing and giving back. But what does that mean for you going forward? Like what are some things that you're doing in that world that are that are giving you the opportunity to share and give back? Yeah, you know, it's a lot of things and it's kind of continuing to evolve. So we, you know, we do a lot of engagement in the community, a lot of nonprofit work. Um, I'm a big believer in collaboration. So we um, were an early investor into an idea that, you know, was really nothing more than an idea at the time. But it turns out that now it serves as a, a portal for the corporate community of Columbus to access volunteer philanthropic opportunities in the city. We had just wanted to make that a big part of our business we were trying to do it ourselves and um, somebody came into my office and had kind of this technology to do it. And, and so we invested. And so now every kind of big corporate company in the city has hundreds of people volunteering around the community, that kind of stuff, you know, we, we love to do. I do a lot of mentoring and investing in entrepreneurs, um, supporting people in their work and life. I'm, you know, kind of learning, coaching. I've been doing it kind of casually and and informally, but I'm I'm starting to kind of learn how Chet does things, how other coaches work, and and start to do some more coaching. I think things like the podcast are my way of giving back. As you know, not everybody has the Joe Rogan deal, so you know, <laughs> mine is kind of. Not falling yet. into the investment category at the moment. <laughs> and, um, and, and, you know, but I love it. And I think that, you know, when I'm out walking around and somebody stops me and says, Hey, you know, I, I really got a lot out of that podcast. You know, to me, that's how I'm giving back. I'm speaking, I'm sharing the story. I hope it means something to people. Um, you know, again, we'll, we'll do a lot in the kind of, charitable volunteer serving on boards, that kind of thing. But, you know, mostly I think it's about really um, being with other individuals and supporting them in their journey as, you know, directly as you can, either with your time or your money. 
um, but you know, trying to do that to full capacity. So, Brad, one of, one of the things that we talk about on this podcast a lot is, you know, there's that saying you heard probably when you were growing up of it's not what you know, it's who you know. And then Bob and I talk about it's maybe it's not so much who you know, it's who knows you. And so with, with this platform, what else do you want to share with our audience about the true Brett and, and where you're headed? You know, the true Brett, that's a, that's a, a good question. I mean, it's, it's still emerging. I think, like I said, it's a work in progress, but, you know, I think what I'm learning and what I'm starting to land on is that, um, you know, the, the true Brett is, is both kind of, um, this, uh, paradox of of you know kind of creating um really making things happen but doing it from a place of full expression from vulnerability from you know, sharing myself um and my experience in life with people in its entirety honoring the things that you know really um i think are oftentimes not as broadly accepted you know, um, that continues to be a theme, the kind of story about meditation. Well, what, what kept me from really doing the headspace kind of thing? And I, I, that wasn't my idea, but you know, when I, when I started meditating, I was hiding in my car doing it, not telling, telling anybody I was doing it 20 years ago, it wasn't really cool to meditate. Right. So the more that I can kind of buck the 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 kind of societal programming and not worry what's accepted and what's not and just honor those things that feel really true to me to me that's where the true brett is emerging and you know this idea of really kind of trying to elevate consciousness to optimize the human experience to kind of aim towards this oneness you know, with, with, with what's going on in the world right now, you know, m- my belief is that it is our target goal, purpose in life to aim for oneness. And, and that's really what I'm after. I'm trying to figure out how to con- constantly do my part to bring people together, to put our differences aside, to not let the separation, you know, really kill us. Because I think that's, that's the biggest issue that we face um and and how to do that you know in a variety of ways through starting businesses you know supporting entrepreneurs coaching individuals in work and life working on myself above all else constantly you know continuing to improve myself loving my family um and friends you know that's that's really you know kind of what i'm um committed to that's great as we talk about, you, you made the comment of being on fire. I can definitely see that with you. I love the passion and, and like this whole, your whole thing about optimizing the home you experience. And I love, love getting to know you better and talk to you more. And we really appreciate you spending some time with Michael and I today to, to share your story and, and your words of wisdom. I know I took a lot away from our conversation today, just personally. So we appreciate you sharing everything. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. And, um, you know, I, it's always a pleasure to be with other built to lead clients who, you know, are, are focused on trying to um, live their best life and, and, you know, on purpose and, and 
that's always fun. And I really am appreciative of what you guys are doing. I think, you know, the idea of sharing these stories is really important. It will make a difference in people's lives. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, somebody said, you know, when, when one teaches to learn. So, you know, for me, I've found that, you know, as I'm, you know, listening to people's stories, I'm learning a ton. So yeah, it's for other people, but it keeps giving to me over and over again. So um, I'm sure that'll be your experience too. And uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Brett, if your son needs a uh, another tour of the UT campus down there in Austin, I'm, I'm happy to oblige. Hook him. All right. That's great. I'll be uh, there in August so far there planning on uh going back on time so we'll be we'll be moving in in the heat um but um we're excited for them we we've spent some time there and it's a great city and an awesome school and he's he's all fired up so it should be fun well we'll make sure that everybody gets to know to visit your podcast we'll tag that in the 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 notes the gravity podcast and and uh you know if they move to columbus make sure you're moving into a coffin uh development so thanks again, yeah. Brett. We appreciate the time. Yeah, thank you guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of The Climb. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider subscribing. And if you know someone who you would think would enjoy the podcast, feel free to share this with them. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode.